Hi, welcome to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This is your host, Josh Campson. Uh, today, we have a very old friend of mine. I mean, she's normal age. She's not that old. Uh, she's about my age, a little older. Anyway, we don't have to get into it. Uh, Robin Hitchcock, she is a professional comedian, although she doesn't like to go by that. A law school classmate who made the very smart decision to give up the law uh, and go into teaching and comedy in the Pittsburgh area. We have a great discussion about what it's like to leave the law, what it's like to live in Africa for a little bit, how she got into improv comedy uh, and how improv comedy can help kids with disabilities as well as lawyers in their day-to-day -day lives. I hope you enjoy it. And if you did, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, uh, share the podcast with a friend. It really helps the show and we really appreciate it. Thanks a lot and enjoy the conversation. So I know from the intro, people were possibly expecting uh, British singer-songwriter Robin Hitchcock <laughs> with a Y, but instead we have Robin Hitchcock with an I. Uh, how does it feel to not be able to Google yourself? Uh, you know what? Actually, um, Google has learned the difference between the two of us at this point. But when I was like applying to college over 20 years ago, uh, it was, no, that was exactly 20 years ago. Um, it was great. Yeah. Robin Hitchcock and I are Twitter friends now. Oh. And like interact fairly regularly. That's weird. Yeah, so you're the only person, person, you're the only person I know that is actively on Twitter. Uh, really? Yeah. How is that for your mental health? Terrible. Just terrible. My psychiatrist talks to me about it or my therapist talks to me about it every single week. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. And do you find that you are like more prone to try to overthrow the government, less prone to overthrow the government, being in kind of that cesspool that is Twitter? Really good question. I'm going to say same amount of not prone, but not necessarily out of lack of radicalization, mostly out of laziness. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, now, I did see something that you posted that's not going to be relevant for all of our listeners, but I did see and I saw this on many people's that there's a Sheets coming to Pittsburgh, the downtown Pittsburgh or, or the Pittsburgh. Oakland. Pittsburgh? No, it was a lie. It was a prank. I did see that. Have they thank, have they figured out who did the prank yet? I, the Joker. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who Who would be so evil as to lie to me that I was going to get a Sheets in my neighborhood? I mean, great prank, though. No, it's horrible. It's evil. Who wins? <laughs> well, Who but does the thing benefit? is, yeah, but nobody gets like hurt. You know, it's not a prank where everyone's stuff is glued to the ceiling or you know, your car is filled with like uh, those little balls that they have at the ball pit. Right. There's I no cleanup. Hurt. One sign had to be cleaned up. <laughs> it was a bunch of signs. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was like every post on the fence. So you live in like, Pittsburgh? Yes, I live in, in <laughs> Oakland, which is where Pitt's campus is in Pittsburgh. And we do not have a sheets and will not have a sheets or any uh, really. There's just the one 7-Eleven, right? Or at least there was last time I was in Oakland. Yeah, I think there's still a 7-Eleven. I don't know. I live near I live in like the depths of South Oakland and there's a, a little gas station on our corner, which regularly gets robbed or has their gas pumps break or somebody drove a car into it one time. It's kind of a hell mouth. Somebody drove a car into the law school, too, one time. So, you know, oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember that. I, I had forgotten it. I had repressed that that happened. Yeah, we. I mean, we weren't in the building, as mm -hmm. I recall. I think it may have been mm -mm. after we went to school. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it's like the year after we graduated. Yeah, then it really went downhill. Right. I mean, it was going downhill while we were there. Yeah, I do recall <laughs> the rankings uh, and that being an issue. Yeah. And uh, that was, I, I remember that being a stressful thing and then has never been an issue in the 10 or 11 years since then. Well, 
I mean, that's because of the path that you took for yourself, where your law school ranking is largely irrelevant. It's like, did you go to one? Good for yeah. you. <laughs> you mean the path of uh, working for a judge, that person getting indicted and then starting my own business because I couldn't find a real job? Yeah. Tale as old as time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, similar to your path of becoming yeah. a professional comedian. <laughs> so I, I was telling Josh before we started recording that that is such a strange word. Like, I don't feel comfortable using that word because to me that implies that like I do stand up a, which I barely do. And B that I'm like on tour making audiences laugh when really my job is in the field of comedy and I do perform comedy, but I would say I'm a professional um, education administrator in the field of comedy. So when you're at a cocktail hour, when those exist again, or if you meet someone at a bar, you know, maybe you've slipped the wedding ring off and you're, you know, it's a, <laughs> you're having your hot girl summer and yeah. you know, you're out and about and somebody says, what do you do? You say I'm an administrator in the field of comedy. No, I say I work for Arcade Comedy Theater. I run their classes. And do people know what that is? Um, no, <laughs> I would say people, you know, if I'm in Pittsburgh, people tend to have the kind of like, I've heard of that reaction to it. Every now and then people will say, oh, I've been there. Um, people can guess what a comedy theater is usually. And then sometimes people are confused why we have classes. Like, what are we teaching? Like, is it, you know, algebra? Uh, and I say, you know, we do classes in improv comedy and stand up comedy, sketch writing, et cetera. And then people generally know someone who has done one of those things at this point. It's, it's a popular enough hobby that people are vaguely familiar with it. And we're several minutes into this podcast and the people listening are thinking, why is there, and I'm going to call you a comedian. So you're just going to have okay, to deal with it. As some people say, take the compliment and move on. All right. If it's a compliment, if it's an insult, then take the insult and move on. I will. Uh, so people are wondering why, uh, you know, what's the connection? Why do I have a comedian on? And obviously we went to law school together. We did. Uh, and then how did you and to tell the story of how you ended up where you are now? That's what people want to hear. All right. So I, uh, the, the first piece of the story is like, why did I go to law school? All the wrong reasons. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I went to law school originally. I wanted to be a history academic. That was like my passion. But I, you know, saw what being in academia is like and was like, no, thank you. You know, like, I don't want to have to move to whatever college will give me a associate professorship. And it's much worse now than it was then. But I was like, this is terrible. You know what I would be good at? Law school. And I was right. I was very good at law school. Um, but I pretty quickly realized while I was there that like, I don't actually want to be a lawyer, right? Like, ugh. and I actually was close to dropping out. Like I was very unhappy during my first year but I made law review. Yeah, no big deal. Brag. <clears throat> and, you, and, and you made it for real, not the like sneaky way where I like finagled <laughs> my way in as a web editor on law review. Hey, looks the same on the resume. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I made it in the old fashioned way. And I love being in it. This is the first time in years that I've been in a context where I can brag about making law <laughs> review. That's fun. Uh, but I was like, oh, well, if I made law review, I should stick it out. I should finish law school. And I did. We were we graduated in 2010. This was a very bad time to be entering a professional field. Um, couldn't get a job. Was doing some freelance writing, including comedy writing. I was I was getting married at the time, and I was writing about the process of getting married. And I sort of took on a comedic voice, and that was like how I first dipped my toes into that field. Um, 
I did a sketch show with my best friends, Liz and Abby, at our True Frankly Scarlet. And then my husband, who is an academic, was like, guess what? We're moving to South Africa because that's where the best job is for me. So we lived in Cape Town, South Africa for three years. God, I totally to forgot about that part of your story. Really? <laughs> for, just for a second. It kind of like <laughs> slipped my mind. I talk about it way too much. <laughs> yeah. So I moved abroad and didn't have any friends. And I was like, you know, my friends back in the States are all comedians. So I'm going to take an improv class. And <laughs> I did. And um, three months later, I started teaching that improv class, despite a wild lack of qualifications. And then when I moved back to the States, um, my aforementioned friend, Abby Feuder, was one of the founders of the Arcade Comedy Theater, which is a nonprofit comedy theater in Pittsburgh's cultural district. And I got involved there. I started teaching sketch and then improv. And then I started doing some volunteer administrative work for it. And then um, in 2019, I came on staff very part-time as the academy manager. And then <laughs> January 1st, 2020, was promoted to academy director. And I was in charge of the classes, and it was a whole new world, and then the world broke. But we're still here, thanks to the generosity of our community and government support and the hard work of the staff. So we just started having regular indoor classes again. And were you like kind of called to task by the board for the lack of revenue in classes or uh, did you yes. get a freebie on that? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I think that they were extremely understanding, but it was a really hard year of trying to make people want something that they don't want, which is online comedy classes. Or online comedy in general, right? I mean, yes. We, I would say our programming department did an excellent job of innovating, making online comedy as good as it can be. Um, we had some really cool shows. We did a, we did a show with Todd Glass um, that would like had a little bit of like an interactive feel to it with like a tiny audience in the Zoom room. That was really cool because it, it felt like seeing Todd Glass in a tiny club, but broadcast over the internet. And we did some live reads and it was, I think we did as well as we could with online comedy, but I, it was still a really hard year. And I'm really hoping that we are able to properly reopen soon. And so you're not fully reopened now? No, we are doing outdoor shows. Uh, we have one more weekend of outdoor shows and we are doing indoor classes and then our, but they're like abbreviated four week classes. Our regular eight week classes start the second week of August, they're on sale now. And we hope to be opening for regular indoor shows in September. Touch wood, right? Yes, uh, exactly. Right. This variant doesn't jam us all up again. Right. And do you, uh, my recollection is that a lot of the people or a, uh, I'll say statistically significant number of people at Arcade are also lawyers. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. I would say like, you know, because of Pittsburgh, I would say the number one field people are in is healthcare. But I would say after that, it's probably lawyers. And it's because it's a joyless profession. <laughs> and also, I genuinely think and this is something I want to talk about on the show. Like, I think that lawyering slash law school does help prepare you for performance. Well, it depends what kind of law, but uh, how, how do you think it does that? So I, I said slash law school. I've never done any actual lawyering, but I had stayed. You worked right. at a law firm. Yeah. OK, I, <laughs> I, I worked at several law firms, yeah. but um, I had terrible stage fright 
back in the day. And like, you know, I've been watching my friends do improv comedy for years without doing it myself because I was like, that seems awful. Uh, but then, you know, in law school, you have to do oral arguments and and even just things as simple as like the professors who like to do the Socratic method or pretend to like the, the scary ones, like just being able to answer their questions. Um, did you ever have any professors who made you stand up? No. Not that one I remember. Of my, one of my one L professors made us stand up when we answered questions, which was like, uh, um, but that made it seem possible to perform on stage for me. I guess it's less stress. Or, Absolutely. We, you think it's less stress to be on stage? I mean, where the there's an expectation of being funny as opposed to the expectation of being right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. At least for me. Do you get a lot of law students in? Into your classes? No. And I would say that's probably just a matter of busyness. Oh, yeah. I forgot it is annoying being in law school. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like regular work where you kind of, you know, make your own hours or to some extent can make your own hours and do social activities if you live your life right. No, when you're a law student, your hours are I wake up, I do law studenting, and then I go to sleep. <laughs> there was a pretty fair amount of drinking snuck in there. Oh, that's part of what I'm calling law studenting. Good thinking. Good thinking. Yeah. Uh, so the lawyers that come to you for classes, you think they're better prepared than say, not that I'm harping on doctors, but maybe they're better prepared than say a doctor. We don't get a lot of doctors. When I say healthcare, I mean health, like insurance administrator people. Um, oh, well, definitely yeah. more than them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's a really good question. I will say that people in the legal field are they have a, a healthy self-deprecation that th they are more open to criticism without shutting down than some other people are. Because they've been beaten so many times that they're kind of just scarred and used to it. They've built up those scabs, right? Literally exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you do three years of being told you're wrong on a regular basis, you kind of right. get used to it. Yes. Or if you're used to getting yelled at by a judge, then getting a silent treatment from an audience, I guess, is really no big deal. Yeah. Yes. And also audiences are nicer than judges. Yeah. Depending on yeah. the judge. That's fair. But like the thing is, is that audiences, at least for improv, I, I understand that with stand up, sometimes people come in very saucy and prove it. Right. But with improv, the, the worst really that you get from an audience, it's not hostile. It's bewildered. Right. Like there are people who have no idea what they're watching, especially with long form improv, where you just like get one word and then do a bunch of scenes. You do get audiences that are like, I have no idea what's happening here, but they, they don't have that hostility that judges are like kind of meant to. Yes. Or sometimes, you know, put on an act for and then right. after the case is over, they're friendly as can be. But when you're in front of the client, they're like, Mr. Campson, how could you say such a thing? Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm used to an audience, I guess, never yells out, you're an idiot, you know, or uh, I can't believe no. you said that. That's correct. That does not happen. That's nice. Maybe I should yeah. consider a change. Are you offering any online classes this semester? We had a We have an online class in TV writing with Rich Tallarico, but it's sold out. Mm. Yeah. Well, first of all, is, is Rich Tallarico, is that a TV writer? I don't know yes. who that is. Yeah, okay. he wrote for Key and Peele. He's a Peabody Award winning television writer. Oh, that's very fancy. Yeah. Yes. And that's pretty impressive. You guys uh, teaching people how to write for TV. Have, have you had this course before? Do you have this any is alums? Our first time offering this. Yes. So once one of our eight students in this class sells their first pilot, I'll let you know. 
Okay. And then, you know, if they're looking for any bald guys in bow ties, that's really, like, I'm really like kind of uh, pigeonholed in that role because yes. it's the only acting I can do. Well, there's this amazing thing called spirit gum. We can attach a wig. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So just regular guy yeah. <laughs> in a bow tie. <laughs> Is it the bow tie have... surgically attached? I mean, it's like, if I don't have it, they're just like, oh, it's just another bald Jew. Just what we need, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, I have to distinguish myself somehow. Or it's like that story with the ribbon around the lady's neck. What yes. When you take the ribbon off. Yes. Was that, <laughs> who wrote that? Was that a... Uh... I think that might be the scary stories to tell in the dark book. Maybe. Or maybe that is ripped off of something else. I don't know, but that is a scary story. Yeah. My son, uh, our nephew is a little older. He's four or five and he was over here and he's like a little naughty. And he was talking about his book. He got that scary stories to tell in the dark book, which he has his dad read to him. But then he like gets nightmares and stuff. So he was telling my two and a half year old son about it. Uh, who was the, it was then like asking for the book. And I'm like, absolutely not. I what that book traumatized me when I was like six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I mean, I don't watch scary movies. Yeah. Uh, but you're a scary movie person, aren't you? I, I I tolerate scary movies. They're not my favorite thing. There are movies that I choose not to watch because they're scary. Wait, what? Uh, so, like, <laughs> here's the thing. I the way that I live my life. I do a few podcasts mm-hmm. um, and I also do something called the Oscars death race. There are a lot of movies that I have to in air quotes watch. If it's a scary movie, I will watch it and I'll try to enjoy it. Sometimes I'm interested in a scary movie, but all things being equal, I tend not to choose to watch scary movies. And there are some movies where I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not watching that until I have to, for whatever reason. Yeah. Oscars death race. Uh, tell us about that. Cause I think it's interesting. Yeah, when you uh, are a comedian for a living instead of an attorney, you have free time and you can do things like watch every movie that gets nominated for an Oscar in any category, including things like best original song. You even try to watch the shorts if they're available to you. And I have successfully completed the Oscars death race. You have to do it before the ceremony. I've successfully completed it three times. What is it? It's watching every movie that gets an Oscar nomination. Oh, okay. That's what I thought. But uh, for that year. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And then I have something called my quest where I'm trying to watch everything that got a major category, meaning picture directing, screenplay or acting going back to 1970. Now, have you tried to somehow get into the screen actors code? Have you tried to just sneak in there somehow? Because then they send them to you for free. I know I haven't yet, but maybe at some point I should do that. Um, But no, I, you know, I do AMC a list and I, when necessary, there are a few times when you can't see something any other way than a screener. Uh, my good friend and podcast co-host Sean Collier is in the Broadcast Critics Association. He votes on the Critics' Choice Awards. So he'll have me over and we'll watch whatever on his screener. Is that allowed? Should we bleep that out? Should we bleep uh, the name out? <laughs> I, I think I'm allowed to watch. I mean, I'm allowed to watch them in his house. I think maybe we should bleep it out. I don't know. No, it's fine. I think it's totally fine. Right. Uh, I mean, it's not legal advice, nor is anything else on the show, but right. that seems like something that's okay. What uh, you can't do is give me his DVD. Right. 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 And then you can't upload it to the internet and I can't then download it onto my computer. Right. Definitely All of illegal. those things verboten. Yes. Uh, oh, a little German, <laughs> a little uh, man in the high castle. Uh, situation, <laughs> which I have not finished yet. Couldn't, couldn't, 
And I haven't sat down to watch the final season. Have you watched that whole show? No, it's scary. That to me is scary. I don't like bad, evil history. That makes me upset. Oh, like that historical One evil fiction? history is enough. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. One evil history. So you have that podcast and you have another podcast too, right? Yeah. So I also did um, the Theronathon. We watched every movie that Charlize Theron ever did. Uh, so whenever she puts out a new movie, we have a new episode of Theronathon. And then we started doing the same thing for Keanu Reeves. Um, but that's on hiatus 100% because of me. That's on hiatus because I have been too busy. Oh, yeah. Look at you. And you're not even a lawyer. I now, know, right? Have you ever thought about, you know, activating or jumping back into that or doing anything related to the legal field? I mean, so at this point, I'm retired, right? So I don't have to pay to not be a lawyer anymore. And I owe 10 years of CLEs. So it would be kind of expensive for me to become a lawyer again. Um, I have to say, like, I my ability to walk away from the legal profession, like, comes from a place of privilege, right? Like, I was able to take go to law school without getting into debt. And uh, so... Whenever I tell this story, I always kind of feel like an asshole because there's a lot of people I know who would love to be able to do this, but they're like, okay, I'll do it $200,000 of debt from now. And to them, I say, hang in there and then do it. Yeah. Or it, I don't know. Some people actually like being lawyers is my understanding. Yeah. Or just marry a rich person. That's what I tell oh, yeah. people. Yes. Yeah. You know, if, if you're already in there, you know, just uh, if you don't like what you're doing, just marry a rich person and, and then pay off your debt and then hire a lawyer and then boom, you're half rich. That's right. Uh, and then you can do whatever you want. That's right. I yeah. tried for that approach. It didn't work out. I just married a regular, uh, which was fine because, you know. She's a pretty good regular. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But not a not like a Jeff Bezos situation. Right. Or or what's her name? The His uh, ex-wife, I guess. I don't know her name. Mackenzie? I, I am blown away that you do not know this information. I, You know, honestly, I try to think about billionaires as little as possible. But I feel like you're usually up on uh, like celebrity-ish gossip. Yeah, I think that I refuse to accept that Jeff Bezos is a celebrity. Like, I know that he is, but like, I don't I don't want to know anything about this person. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've shared everything I know. Amazon, okay. Bezos, divorce. And apparently people are getting ripped off by scams or scammers thinking, pretending to be the ex-wife because she like gives money to charity, but just randomly. So she doesn't have like a proper foundation. So she just like has a staff that'll call people and then people will, people have like spoofed that email and then say they're no. going to give such and such money. Yeah, it was hard. That's like saying there's going to be a Sheets in Oakland. <laughs> it's just like it. It's just like it. Uh, this is a total non sequitur, but I have uh, seen recently on the internet that you are essentially like a makeup influencer now. So <laughs> tell me about makeup tutorials and a an, an inverted cat eye, which I thought looked very cool. Oh, and thank you. Um, there are actual makeup influencers out there on all of the social media platforms. Um, I only follow a few, but then people will send me ones that they'll send me videos of people doing makeup and like kind of challenge me to do the same thing. That's about as far as I can go. I can't generate my own content really, but I like copying other looks. So one thing I'll do sometimes is I'll have like some vintage makeup books and I'll like scan in a page and then I'll recreate that look. Um, but yeah, the a reverse cat eye is just lining the bottom part of your eyes instead of the top part of your eyes. And it definitely looks really, really weird when you start it. And then once you finish it, it finally looks sort of like you did it on purpose. But it 
also melted straight down my face. I should have taken a picture of what it looked like an hour later, but like it just was I I looked like a sad goth teenager. Because you were crying or because you went outside when it's 95 degrees? Because I stayed inside where our house can only cool itself down to, say, 82 degrees. <laughs> oh, you guys got to get a second zone in there or something. No, we do. We just we 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 just got uh, an improved air conditioning situation. But I get all uh, like I'm wasting energy about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. Now, how did you end up with a vintage makeup book? My friend Erica Larson gave me one that her mom had just kind of like sitting around. And then I also have um, the classic uh, Kevin Aqua book, Making Faces. Yes, of course. I'm aware of this uh, classic. But I mean, is that something you've been interested in or you kind of just your friend was like, I've got some old garbage. Let's throw it Robin's way. She knew. I, I think I had talked before about how much I love the book Making Faces. It's a classic. Anyone who knows things about makeup knows that book. Um and she said, like, my mom has this thing. I'm giving it to you. And I was like, this is the greatest gift anyone's ever given me. Nice. All right. And do you how often do you like try different styles or things in there? I didn't even know there was a, there were whole books about makeup. So that's news to me. Um, I don't I, I would say that, like, I I probably have like a makeup play date with myself, like once or twice a week. It's usually like when my husband is working, I'm like, all right, time to put on an old movie and mess around with makeup. Doesn't he work all the time, all day? He is better now, touch wood. But yeah, uh, the pandemic cooled him out a little bit. But yeah, he's um, he's the president of the Pennsylvania uh, or the Learning Disabilities Association of Pennsylvania. And they have been doing um, some tutoring training for people because he got a foundation grant to cover that so they can do low cost tutoring for people. And so that's been his nighttime work recently. And you were helping them do a little bit of improv for kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. We do um, after school improv lessons at Provident Charter School, Arcade Comedy Theater in association with LDA. Uh, we do that's a charter school for kids with dyslexia and other learning disabilities. And uh, in their after school program, they do all sorts of things like art and taekwondo and now improv. So how does that work? I mean, it's interesting, you know, kids with learning disabilities plus improv. Is it? smooth is it choppy uh in terms of the teaching process and the learning process of that and do you think it is a significant a more benefit to people with learning disabilities or is this just like yeah they're just regular kids and they had fun doing improv and they were funny that's a great question i think improv is a benefit to everybody i think a big part of after school for kids is for them to have a good time in the school building especially kids with learning disabilities like trying to make it so school doesn't feel like a place of torture is very important but in addition to that, in like a huge part of what Colin advocates for with LDA is self-advocacy, right? He's teaching kids to ask for what they need, to get the accommodations that they need, to ask for understanding of what their special needs are. And improv gives you the tools to look out for yourself and just improves your self-confidence. It gives you communication skills. I think that there's a lot to it, but I think it applies to everybody, not just kids with learning disabilities. What do you mean the tools to look out for yourself? Um, to ask for what you need, right? You know, in, in a scene, you know, the most important thing that we say in improv is that like looking out for your scene partner, right? What happens is that your scene partner is also looking out for you. Improv really teaches you what it feels like to be supported, right? And then that gives you the understanding of, I got to ask my teachers and the school administrators to support me. Hmm. 
Does that make That's sense? That's interesting. It does. That sounds it's, very like new agey and weird to me, but I believe well, it in my heart. It's very much into the art and science of improvisation and yeah. how that works. It's not just, you know, somebody yelling out Starbucks and somebody else yelling out abortion. And the next thing you know, you got comedy. But that also does happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. But you're supporting each other in that scene through that Starbucks-based abortion. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the two words everybody always uses are yes and, right? And what that really is, is it's agreement and acceptance and then uh, working together to build from there, right? So uh, acceptance and collaboration, like that's just some Nirvana stuff right there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's interesting. I never see. Look at that. This is why I do these shows so that I learn mm -hmm. a little something or think about something different every day. Uh, we are now going to transition to what I call the lightning round of the show, okay. even though none of the questions are yes or no answers. So it's not really a lightning round, but that's just what I call it. Maybe okay. I should call it something else. But I didn't think of lightning round as requiring yes or no answers. I just think or like it means quick answers, quick answers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of these will be quick and maybe some of them won't. That really depends okay. on you. All right. What's the weirdest tradition your family has? We do something. This isn't weird at all, but my answer, because it's a lightning round, is uh, we make old fashions, a round of old fashions at 5 p.m. on holidays. And we've been even, doing that since before old fashions became popular again. Even for the kids? Uh, the kids will get some soda water and uh, bitters. Okay. <laughs> and the all fruit. Right. Yeah. Uh, and here's the important question. So yeah. the Oxford comma. Uh, yes. Do you, you know what it is? Yes. I know you know Josh, what it is, but I, was I know on you know what it is. There's, there's, there's an audience here. You know, you can't see them. They're listening. So I have to make sure that I have primed uh, the pump, so to speak. So the Oxford comma, obviously, you know what it is. Uh, are you a user or a non-user? Absolutely a user. 100%. Okay. Um, you'd be surprised. We're at like 70, 30 users, non-users wow. in of the people I've interviewed. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, there's too many places where it breaks a sentence to not use it. To why yeah. would you ever not use it? People are silly, including yeah. some of my former guests. Uh, what is something you get wrong almost every time you do it? Oh, good question. <laughs> I'm really bad at knowing which side of my car the gas pump is on. <laughs> well, did you know there's a little picture of it? I do know. <laughs> I do know that has probably, that's probably put me above 50%. So I don't get it wrong most of the time, like you asked, but it's something that I am embarrassingly bad at. I mean, I didn't know there was a little picture until I was like 25. Oh, yeah. I think I was probably 30. I mean, it was not a when I was 16, somebody said, you know, there's a little arrow here. So, you know, which side your thing's on. Was it was it always there and we never noticed it or did they invent it at some point? Who knows? But whoever did very smart. I know. Good for you. Yeah. You got to think one car maker, although I always think and we've talked about this you know, offline in our friendship that I always think like inventions that there was somebody at one point that said we should do this thing and then like. Their boss said, get out of here, Johnson. Yes, uh, that's, that's really how it dumb. works every time. So I like to, I want to try to track down the person that wanted to put that arrow in and then <laughs> got fired for it. Uh, what is something that people are obsessed with, but you just don't get the point of? Uh, this is no longer, if we can go back in time four years, I'm going to say Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. So a little bit of a dated yeah. reference. Also, interesting way that you said that. Game of Thrones? Uh, game, game of Thrones instead of Game of Thrones. <laughs> I did watch the whole first season of that show. And then during the last season, I wanted to be part of the cultural moment. So I did watch the last few episodes and watched everybody hate them. And just didn't just didn't know what was going on. Who was anyone or were you had you followed it in the zeitgeist enough that you felt you knew what was going on? 
I mostly knew what was going on. And then my husband, Colin, was with me. And so I'd be like, who's this chick? And he would give me the short explanation. Because he was a big fan, right? Yeah, he he watched the whole time. Yeah. Did he appreciate having to like pause and explain things as you were asking while the episode was on? He probably enjoyed that some. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I would have been like, I told you you should have watched it the first time around. Oh, I think he might have enjoyed it because I often have to play that role for him with like comic book things. And it's I think it was fun role reversal. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, What is something you hate, but you wish you loved? Stand up comedy. Ooh, I shouldn't say I hate it. I don't (laughs) hate it. I wish I cared about it the same way that I care about improv and sketch. When you say care about, you mean like in terms of the people that do it, or do you mean wanting to do it yourself? Uh, yes. No, I, I mm-hmm. have to care about the people who do it because they're part of my community, right? right. I've got it's called teachers, a lifeline. Yeah. Right. I've yeah. got <laughs> teachers and students who I am responsible for who stand up as their passion. It's a huge part of what makes arcade comedy theater what it is. And so I want to be invested in it the way that I am the rest of our art. And I just I'm always, I always feel separate from it. Do you think it's because stand-ups are like more arrogant? They're like, I don't need a team. I'm up here by myself. I don't need any support. Or do you think, think it's like, there's always a lot the pacing. Of reasons. It's, I, I think that, you know, that magical thing I was talking about with improv, like mm-hmm. that is not present in stand-up. The magic of stand-up is more about the connection between the performer and the audience. And maybe if I were really, really good at stand-up, I would get it more (laughs) Um, because I'm not experiencing the magic because I'm just fine at stand-up. Do you know what I mean? And you have to be out super late. Yeah. I mean, to me, you're doing shows at 11 o'clock at night, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And none of that's for me. And that's the reason I tell myself I never became a comedian. You know, it's just too late. I go to bed at nine o'clock. It's true. Yeah, yes. you, you live a late a late life. We really do. Uh, do you have any superstitions? Oh, I have so many, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> when I was uh, ten years old, before the stage fright set in, when I was in grade school, I was all I was a ham, right? I was like, please pay attention to me. Then middle school, me and girls insecurity stage fright until law school. But when I was ten years old, I was in a play called Thirteen, which is about a girl's thirteenth birthday, and they have a surprise party, and bad superstition things keep happening. And she basically gets increasingly unhinged. That was I played the main character, Bonnie. And no big deal. I had never heard of a lot of those superstitions, like don't put new boots on the table, right? But then I I know exactly this play was written in the 60s. I think that we were doing it because it was super, super cheap, Um, possibly free. Regardless, I like I method acted to the point where I (laughs) absorbed all those superstitions. And I also get superstitions about weird things like um, I have a certain nail polish that I wear whenever I have a high stakes show. Because I'm like, oh, that's my magic nail polish that will that will make this this work. Right. The best answer we've gotten to this question so far. <laughs> what are some um, other ones? I, I also just like believe in things that it's like magical thinking, things that can't possibly be true, like that are definitely coincidences. But like, for example, when I was 10 years old, uh, my mom fell uh, off a pedestrian bridge in Arizona and broke her back. And my mom was very clumsy. I inherited this. It's a terrible trait. Um when I was walking home from school that day, I was thinking, I was like stepping over the cracks. This was around the time I was in that play. And I was like, don't step on a crack. You'll break your mother's back. Remember that? Yeah. Walk into my house and my dad's like, so your mom broke her back. <laughs> 
oh, wow, that must have done a number on you. Right. Right. So, yeah, I'm very superstitious. I'm married to a scientist. He does not like it. And uh, in what ways in your day to day are you doing things like besides not putting your new boots on the table? Are you mm-hmm. always coming in the door you come out of not stepping over babies? You know, what? I've never heard that. that might just be a Jewish, like old, not old wives tale, but like, oh, yeah, you can't step over a baby. They stop growing or something weird <laughs> like that. Well, I'll file that one away. Um, I don't think it I don't think there's too many things that regularly affect my day to day life. I absolutely will not open an umbrella indoors. That's something where I'm like, ah, no, um, I throw if I spill salt, I throw it over my shoulder, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's mostly uh, just kind of like if I can't decide between two things, I'll flip a coin and I'll be like, well, that is what I must do. Yeah, of right. Course. That kind well, that of makes sense. I mean, that's yeah. just regular. Is that uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Maybe some two some two face stuff. Yeah, I Colin made fun of me one day. He's like, "You always have the coin flip page, like the Google coin flip page, open in one of your tabs." And I'm like, "Yeah, I have a lot of decisions to make." Whoa, back up, back up! You're not using a real coin. Uh, sometimes if I have one, but there's a currency shortage, Josh. <laughs> Is there? Yes, there's been a currency shortage since the beginning of the pandemic. I didn't know that. Yes. I don't have any money. So what do I know? Exactly. As far as I'm concerned, none of us do. It's just ones and zeros, you know? <laughs> Anarchy. Right. Uh, what is left on your bucket list? Ooh, great question. I want to go to all 50 states. I still have most of the Deep South, Alaska, Hawaii, and Rhode Island. How, how, so how many in the Deep South do you have? I think my total, I think I have 10 total. So seven of those. Oh, I haven't been to South Carolina through Oklahoma. Okay. That's, you made some pretty good progress. Yeah. I drove across country twice. That's how you do it. Yeah. That is the trick. Uh, Final question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Ooh, living well is the best revenge. Nice. Anyone you're getting revenge on at the moment? You don't have to to Uh, share that. Yeah, redacted. Uh, You don't have to share that. Uh, We'll leave it there. Where can people find you? Obviously, these myriad podcasts, but list them off and give us your socials and where people can look you up and uh, find all your comedy. Yeah. So, main place to go to is uh, at Hitchdied on Twitter and Instagram if you want to look at my makeup. Um, My podcasts are called The Number One Movie in America. That's the one that updates the most regularly. Um, that's on any place you find podcasts, including Spotify on Twitter at number, the numeral one movie pod, Theronathon, Keanu review, just find them as they're called. And arcadecomedytheater.com is the place to learn more about taking classes or seeing shows in the Pittsburgh area. If that's something you're interested in. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. And uh, I appreciate it. Great to see you. Thanks for listening to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This podcast is a production of the Montgomery Bar Association in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.